Welcome back once again to the CHGO Sky Podcast, the greatest podcast on earth, as always, hosted by DraftKings, sponsored by DraftKings. Everything by DraftKings, we'll just go with that. Use the code CHGO when you sign up for DraftKings and get $20 added to your account immediately. I'm Chris Pennant. Here with Steven Garner, the best X's and O's man this side of Mars, Jupiter, anywhere that basketball is played. If this man had been coaching for the Monstars, they would have won, and Mike would have been uh, shackled in that amusement park for the rest of his natural life. <laughs> listen, listen, I would have trapped the life out of Mike. <laughs> Bugs was going to have to go get buckets, and Lola, I was going to have to take the ball out of Lola's hands, too. Because she was the primary point she guard. Was, she was the yeah, one making everything happen. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah, I would have had that figured out real quick. The funny thing <laughs> is the Monstars were like 10 feet tall. And every time you saw them, anybody was dribbling. They were just surrounding them. And they really, they couldn't trap anybody. They never ran a trap. They were always playing straight up defense. Yeah, they were they were a little too reliant on their physicality. I would have uh, added a little more finesse. It would look kind of like the Sky's defense did the last couple seasons. Look at this man with the segue. You see it? You see it? I mean, I, I didn't think I was going to get Monstar's defensive breakdown on the start of this pod, but here we are. Man, look, I love it. If you, you mentioned Space Jam around me, my light bulb goes off instantly. I watched that movie, I don't know how many times when I was younger, as soon as I got home from school. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, just, yeah, trap Mike, trap Lola, Monstar's mm-hmm. win. Mm-hmm. There's like, we, we'll probably go into it later, but. If you're out there watching the show, which I know all of you are, think about the best basketball movies you've seen, and then we'll do a ranking for you. If not the end of this show, later in the year. Um, I know Like Mike's going to be on there, even though I've never seen it. I know that Todd from Breaking Bad is in it, is like the pseudo bad guy. Uh, <laughs> but we got to, at some point, you got to really, really realistically break that down. But to more important matters, as always, Follow us on Twitter at CHGO underscore Sky. That's CHGO underscore S-K-Y. And if you don't follow CHGO underscore sports, what are you doing with your day and your nights? You're missing out on the primary sports coverage in Chicago. This is way better than your dad just telling you that the Bears used to run more than they do now. (laughs) Way better than that. I can vouch for that. <laughs> Led the league in rushing last year. What are you talking about? Let's go. <laughs> All right, let's get to this Sky basketball coverage. We've delayed long enough. Um, Sky lose a couple of tough ones. I'll say that Friday night in New York and then Sunday night at Washington. And that puts them on the slide with a three-game losing streak. And for the first time since, I believe, late May, puts them on the precipice of the playoff picture as they are now tied for that A spot with the Los Angeles Sparks. First things first, man, with the way that the season has gone, with what has happened to this team from start to finish, James Wade leaving, um, the coaching shakeup, the injuries prior to the preseason even, and now here we are, the team that looks great in, in, in stretches and just disjointed in other stretches, do the Chicago Sky make the playoffs? I'm going to say yes. And it's mostly because they have so much top-end talent. You have a Kalia Copper. You have a Marina Mabry. You have a Courtney Williams. That's a lot. Like Most teams can't really match up with that or put forth the type of firepower that you can offensively. And we've seen what it looks like when they do, when all three pieces are clicking in the same game. They win those games about 70% of the time, 75% of the time. And that percent of the time that they don't is when they're going up against a team like the Aces that just has another piece or two more than when those three pieces are clicking. Or a New York Liberty team, for that example, as well. 
Um, so yeah, I do think they still make the playoffs. It's gonna be uh, not the prettiest. It's gonna might come down to the last day, like it has before, and mm-hmm. we saw how that turned around. All you could ask for is to get your ticket punched to the dance, and when you get to the dance, whoever dances the best is the one that comes away with the victories. Well, the Sky haven't figured out how to dance for a complete 40 minutes, and that's been some of their problems. We saw it on Friday night, not even in the fourth quarter. We saw it let up in that first quarter and then in the third when New York was able to get what they wanted at the rim in the third frame of the game. And the only thing that really kept the Sky in the game until that fourth quarter when they stretched the lead out was the Liberty's inability to hit those shots close in at the rim. And then the the Mystics game – I know Brittany Sykes is a disruptor. She is she is far and away a disruptor and a human fast break. But it just seemed like again that the Sky's offense was disconnected from majority from major points of the game. Yeah, the kind of and this is something I talked with Coach Vadensever about pregame um, before the game against the Liberty on Friday. And they struggle against teams that switch a lot within their defensive schemes. And that is is actually something I spoke with James Wade about. Uh, I think it was after the second game of the season against the Mercury. Because the Mercury's were switching a lot. Mm-hmm. I think more then than they do now with Brittany Griner uh, fully back and then Tarazi back as well. But they were switching a lot earlier in the season too. And they were kind of struggling to get downhill and to generate paint pressure to suck the defense in and then play off of rotations from there. And they've kind of been muddy with their process in terms of consistently getting those type of opportunities, getting inside, and then playing out. And then either getting downhill or swinging it around while the defense is rotating and getting high-quality shots from the perimeter or good looks at the basket. And it's it's like a Achilles heel for them at the moment because when they get any other type of coverage, whether they get two to the ball or if it's drop coverage, they're usually fine with processing their way through getting, you know, good looks. But against the switching schemes, especially if it's the active switching team, it kind of gets kind of is a high variance, a level of variance for them there. And that's kind of like what we've been seeing over these last two games specifically. Uh, specifically, it goes with teams that can switch, have players who can come up from the post and guard the perimeter. But we saw on Friday night uh, the Liberty were able to use Breonna Stewart and John Quill Jones on those switches, whether it was a staggered screen or whether they were going one-on-one trying to move the ball out to the perimeter and have what would be normally considered a mismatch. Is there a way for the Sky to exploit those matchups? Yes. For one, you have to have your drivers, two of the better drivers in the W, and Kalia Copper and Dana Evans to turn the corner and get downhill. That's There's a multitude of ways they can go about it. Uh, we'll talk about it a little bit later, but with Emre, they've been using a lot more dribble handoffs, and that's kind of it's similar to pick and roll, but it's also unique from it because it comes without a lot of dribble, so you're able to get into it quicker, and that allows for players like Dana and Kai to potentially turn the corner or gain leverage to switch directions and get downhill. Also, hitting your roller. When you're in pick and roll, if teams are switching, there's a crack, there's a crevice there for the roller to slip through. Atlanta and Morgan Burch were doing a great job with that earlier in the season, but they haven't been used as screeners as often as they were under James as they are with Emre. Mm-hmm. It seems like Elizabeth is really the lion's share screener for the team. So even just hitting Elizabeth, like we talked about, she can screen and she can make passes on a short roll. She can also finish. She's been better post All-Star break. So hitting your roller to the point where it becomes a part of the deep that the defense has to respect. And then that role is going to end up having gravity. That's going to suck in the help defense behind the, the switching. 
Now you can pass it to people in the corner and play off of rotations from there. But they have to hit those notes consistently, and they really aren't. And uh, just kind of looking at the Mystics game again as well, uh, that team defensively is, I mean, Natasha Cloud and Brittany Sykes, we have Ariel Atkins didn't even play that game. But Shatori Walker Kimbrough had a crazy impact with deflections and steals. I think she had four. I think Natasha had like two. And uh, Sykes had like five. And that's just steals. I'm not even talking about deflections. And then we haven't even mentioned uh, Maisha Hines Allen, who had a great game. And we didn't even mention uh, Shakira, who came back for that game. That was yeah. her first game back in about a month or two. Uh, just the, the defensive activity that they can compile over the course of one possession and the length and athleticism and activity. That was really what the issue was for for that game against the Mystics, and that's just something that the Sky have to be more efficient with the ball with. For those dribble handoffs, it, it seems like when I've seen it, the main defender is adept at snaking their way between the attempted handoff before it can take place, especially if it if it's at the um, at the elbow on the arc. So how does that really work? I know we're getting into some you know mm-hmm. minutia of strategy, but how does that work? against switches in a way to either negate the switches or put the defensive team back on their heels. Well, it's So they're able to do that because they're anticipating the angle that the screen or the handoff is going to be set at. So mm-hmm. being more precise with setting up the angle from the person that's flying off of the screen or flying off of the handoff, they have to do a better job setting that angle up and not just flying off of it because somebody like Brittany Sykes, she's like, <laughs> she's slippery. You can't, you can't guard her. Like, she just slides through everything. She rarely gets full contact to where she can't slide through. So having a better angle set up from the person that is being guarded by Brittany Sykes and then the angle for the handoff guy, the handoff player or the screener has to be better. And Elizabeth is really, really good at it. But I think there's certain moments where Atlanta, who likes to slip out of her screens more than set it and actually set it and stick it, and as well as Ruthie and Morgan as well, I think they can do a little bit better with getting that true contact to allow for a player to get to the second side of the screen so where if they're switching, that's where the mismatch is. Or if that player is trying to navigate through, they're going to gain leverage getting downhill, and then they're going to be able to attack the opposing big if they're in drop coverage or whatever. And it seems like if Helena is able to set that screen, we know she can hit a shot from the three-point of the mid-range, and that would open up some pick-and-pop opportunities for them too. Correct. And that's what she talked to me about uh, before the game against the Liberty as well. I talked about how she usually operates against a team that switches. And she mentioned, obviously, she could pop. And when she's knocking down her shot, which James as well as Emre have implored her to continue to shoot, she becomes one of the better stretch forwards in the W, like I would say like top six in terms of most effective on both sides of the ball. Uh, You can't play her off the court. However, she also mentioned that they have to do a better job of exploiting a mismatch, not just on the wing, also in the paint. If you have Marina Mabry coming off a screen from Atlanta and they switch, guess what? If they're going against the Liberty, that probably means there's either Sabrina or Courtney Vandersloot that's going to be guarding Atlanta. That's an advantage that you have to take advantage of. But if your process is not sharp enough, a team like the Liberty, who've been doing a great job with their switching, will have John Quayle come over from the weak side and she'll kick her out. So now that mismatch that you did create has now been um, negated because you didn't get to it quick enough. And that's the thing. There's like a there's like a hitch or a hiccup in uh, their process when they're going against switches, and that's kind of why we keep seeing this high variance of results. I saw, um, Lawrence, we have that quote from Courtney on Friday night from Courtney Williams where um, Annie Costable asked her, what was, you know, what has been the difficulty in fourth quarters? They had another tough one on Friday night. And Courtney said, as you see, when they go into the fourth and it's a close game, 
they haven't been able to figure out how to finish. And even more just bluntly, you know, it's not a black and white answer, but it's not one that they figured out. And talking about the team still going through it and building experience and chemistry is a new team for sure. But at this point in the season, it's a real warning bell to hear them say things like, we got to figure it out or we got to keep going through it. Because now you got nine, was it 10 games left? You're getting down to the, to the very end of the year and you're on the edge of playoff contention and you're still figuring things out. I think while it might be true for every team, the top teams are like refining rather than experimenting. And I think when we're talking about will they make the playoffs or won't they, that's a warning sign to me that for an important issue like that, being able to close games, whether you're leading or whether you're down, is something that a playoff team has to know at this point in the season. You are not wrong in in having that mindset and that perspective on it. I do agree with you. Um, I do think that the Sky's situation is unique, though, because they just have so many new pieces in the mix that and then in addition to new pieces you add a new coach halfway through the season so that just whatever whatever chemistry you were starting to build even though Emory hasn't upended everything they were doing prior to him taking over a head coach there's slight tweaks and that's going to come with an adjustment period I think we've seen variance partly because of them struggling with their process uh, especially in crunch time Um, they've mentioned that they kind of have to parse through the your turn my turn aspect of it and just kind of play and flow when they do play and flow and they're able to hit those notes in that manner, that's when they really close teams out like they did. Dallas makes a late run in both of those games on the road, and they just say no. And they come down and get a Marina Mabry three off a of stagger or a Courtney Williams pull up or they hit Elizabeth Williams on the roll or Kalia Copper gets it on the second side and she's able to get a drive. Like just parsing through how to use their pieces in unison, specifically in crunch time, that's kind of like the hurdle for them at the moment. And I think they'll figure it out. I just think they need to figure out the defensive side, though, before anything, because I think a lot of the attention is coming on the offensive side, but I think defensively, I mean, they're giving up the most points in the paint in the second half or post-All-Star break. Um, I think it's like 44 or like 40, almost 45 points in the paint. That's a lot. And a lot of that is coming more so in the second half. Um, they got to figure out what they want their defensive base to be specifically at crunch time and stick with their guns on that. Is it switching? Is it drop? Are they staying aggressive at the level of the screen? I feel like it's probably drop coverage or switching, but at the same time, if you're not doing it consistently, it's gonna kinda you know give you uneven results. So they just gotta figure that part out. Why drop coverage? I would say drop because that keeps things in front. Elizabeth Williams is great at protecting the rim, and you play drop to keep the ball out the paint. So if you can keep Elizabeth back around the elbows, hovering around there, and she doesn't have to step up too far, your guards have to navigate screens first for that for that to work. Otherwise, with Sabrina, you can't run drops, so it kind of makes it hard. Or, or or Chelsea Gray it makes it hard because those players can just come off of, come off of the, the screen and just pull up. So it makes it hard, but you got to figure out a way to keep your defensive shell intact in crunch time and keep the ball out the paint. And also on the on the other note, uh, when the ball kicks to the second side, they do a good job defending an initial action. Those closeouts, keeping the ball in front of you on those closeouts, and again, just keeping the shell intact. I think that's where they kind of start to wither a little bit in crunch time. And if you're consistently taking the ball out the out the net and the other defense is set, now if they're switching, everything is as solid as it can possibly be at its at its start point. And now you're kind of trying to work against the clock and against the team that's set and the scoreboard, you know. 
And that's been like the story, not just the second half, but most of the season. We had, uh, we appreciate you listening out there. We have bear down people um, at the rate they're going. They're not making the playoffs. And uh, they botched the game against the Lynx, which would have got them the seventh seed. That would hurt me. That one hurt me, mainly because that Minnesota boogeyman is such a big deal for me, man. It, it just, it seemed like they were getting over the hump historically of beating, being able to beat Minnesota. The, you know, Rebecca Brunson, gone. Maya Moore, gone. Simone Augustus, gone. Man, man. The heyday of the Lynx was, you know, they were moving into a new era, but they brought in Nafisa Collier, they had Sylvia Fowles, and they had my personal, like, favorite underrated player in the W, Damaris Dantas, when you get somebody on the 6'4 wings who can shoot the three and play good defense. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just like, this is the team you got to beat. And even in the ascension of the sky with, with Sloot, and um, the team that they had with James Wade, uh, Gabby Williams was still on that team, and Diamond and Young Ka just seemed like they couldn't beat Minnesota. And then finally, they were able to just like put the links in the rearview mirror. And now we're back here mm-hmm. where Fee is healthy again. Jessica Shepard looks like she'll be a quality low post player. Yep. And Diamond Miller, we know what Diamond Miller is capable of. And they botched, I, I won't, I don't know, it's hard for me to say they, they botched that game. When you know Collier and Shepard put up was like forty six and sixteen combined. Yeah, uh, but he, he lost her mind that game. <laughs> and that's the one we were talking about. Like Alana Smith played her fairly well, and it's it, like Alana worked for everything. <laughs> but Nafisa Collier, man. So you got it. This is a team again. It feels a lot like you know. It's um, it's coincidental that we had bear down on the on the comment section because it feels like Lovey's three point plan. When he came in with the Bears. Mm-hmm. What was number one, Lawrence? Beat Green Bay. Beat Green Bay. Minnesota is the sky's Green Bay. That's what they need before they can become that contending team again. Because it's, I like the rivalry anyway. We know what kind of coach Cheryl Reeve is. We know that Minnesota has this innate ability to start the season like 0-8 mm-hmm. and then still come around it's in like August. script at this point, man. I don't. <laughs> like it was literally all, the same way last season and the season before. I that. swear. It's like they are like, okay, May is our time to experiment and figure things out. And we're probably going to lose a lot of games. But we're going to be in the mix when playoff time comes around. And that's not a team outside of the Aces and maybe the Liberty. I'm still not – completely sold on the Liberty yet. Tonight's game is going to help me figure that out. But that's a team you don't want to see in the playoffs, Minnesota. And and I was kind of harping on harping on the same thing now. Just got done talking about switching for like seven minutes. Guess what Minnesota <laughs> did? Switched. They switched, <laughs> they switched it's, it's, it's everything. Switched everything. And it just flattens out a lot of the actions that the, or the sky will be able to get downhill or turn a corner or threaten the defense. And it just flattens them out. You see a lot of retreat dribbles, a lot of resets, and a lot of uh, late shot clock attempts that don't really get a paint touch out of it. Um, so that's, I mean, that's kind of that's just kind of the hurdle that they have to get over at this at this point. And I think that just figuring out how to hit the roller early in the game to where the roller is gonna have an impact that completes or that just compiles over the course of the game to where now the whole defense is reacting as well as getting your your guards like Dana and Kalia Copper downhill, even Courtney Williams to an extent. And just putting pressure on the paint, putting pressure on the elbows, I think that's where they can start to evolve their process. And then the last thing I'll say on the switching is cuts from the backside is where you really start opening up driving angles. What we didn't see against the Mystics is, say, we got Courtney Williams on the right side of the court coming off of a screen in the empty corner with Elizabeth Williams. She comes off, she's going towards the middle. 
Brittany Sykes is the player that's at the nail helping over that one pass away defender at the top of the key. Mm-hmm. Instead of cutting to force her or force the backline defense to collapse or switch or do whatever it is they do within their defensive scheme, they were just kind of standing there and watching them. So they were like, okay, the helpline is here. I'm not going to sit at the helpline anymore. I'm going to take another step over because you guys aren't even cutting. So like being able to cut on the backside of a primary action against switching schemes is another way for you to get a paint touch off of a cut, not even to score, just to get the defense to react. And now you just created a whole driving lane for Courtney Williams coming off to her left hand where now the elbow is vacated. She can get a pull-up jumper. She can threaten the paint. Now somebody else has to step up. She can hit Elizabeth Williams on a roll. The person in the corner, let's say that's Kalia Copper, she's knocking that shot down at like 45% this season. Like just the little things that they used to hit at a high efficiency and a high volume last season off of continuity is just kind of lacking in stretches against switches. And that's why we, again, seeing these, un- these varying results at the moment. I don't want to lay this at Marina Mabry's door, but um, James K with the next, when the trade went through before the season, um, he he liked the trade because of how Vicky Johnson used Marina in the latter half of the year. When Arike was out, she was the primary distributor for the team. And I think she was, over that stretch of time, second in assists or points generated behind Courtney Vandersloot. And we know what Courtney Vandersloot can do. But it seems like we haven't really seen that side of Marina this year with how it shook out with Courtney Williams being the primary offensive distributor when she's on the floor. Is that something that the Sky need to try and go to, um, if not this year, next year? Or is there a way to orient this offense where Marina is working best as a scorer and a secondary distributor at that? So kind of to look at how things were and then assess them for how they are now. So the team we've known the Sky to be is extremely pass heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, passers one through five. Everybody can make this pass, that pass. Everybody brings something unique in the playmaking department that makes the team just hard to guard because there's a pass here from Courtney. Now Candace Parker has the ball. Guess what? She can make every pass under the sun. She passes to Emma Meeseman. Guess what? <laughs> right. She can do the same thing. Right. Like Even Allie Quigley, she's known for her shooting, but she's a very underrated passer, especially within the team scheme. So just kind of looking at that, and then Kalia Copper, obviously she could pass too. Um, just kind of looking at that, that's the difference between the teams we've grown to know this got to be and this new this new rendition. They're a lot more pick and roll and multiple pick and roll oriented to where um, it's kind of taking away some of the off-ball movement because if you're setting screens, you usually don't have an off-ball action that's going towards the ball. True. Because that would take away the advantage you're trying to create coming off of a screen. So – I think kind of blending in within their process opportunities for Marina to come off of screens. They have a few sets that they go to. She gets baseline staggers at times, and then she gets staggers going away from the ball um, to where they can kind of make those blend into their offensive process just a little bit more. And even just getting single pin downs in like an empty corner. They blend those in every once in a while, but I think having a higher volume of them would allow for you to take advantage of her um, best trait, which is obviously her shooting and spacing. She's always going to attract attention. Even when she's in pick and roll, she gets two to the ball more than any other player on the sky. We, so we know. There's a lot of ways that she can be used as an advantage. And I think Emre is doing a good job of processing it in. But I think there's like another step that they can take to where it's going to really start having her impact and effect felt similar to how we saw with the Dallas Wings in that latter stretch last season. 
There's a lot of games coming up on the horizon. We'll get to those in a second after we take some some time here to pay some bills. And we want to shout out Shady Rays. The sun has come out tomorrow. Yesterday was rainy. I, that's what I mean by to say that. You see I'm wearing my, my softball shirt here. And for the third week in a row, we were rained out. So there was no need to put on your sunnies yesterday. But the sun has come out. The clouds have cleared up. And that's why we are sponsored by Shady Rays. They make the best sunglasses, bar none, period, point blank. And they have a policy that if you are clumsy like me, you put your glasses down, you forget where they are, and you sit on them, <laughs> you knock them off the table, you break them, they will send you a new pair, no questions asked, immediately. Even if it's the first day that you bought them, immediate replacement guarantee. They also partner with organizations across the country to help those in need, whether it's children or adults, especially those suffering from multiple sclerosis. And again, within 30 days, if you don't like your pair of Shady Rays, you can get them replaced free of cost. We still have an offer. If you use that code CHGO, you will get 50% off two pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses, 50% off two pairs of Shady Rays sunglasses. It's still summertime shy, for at least another month and a half. Or another week and a half. Oh, no, don't say that, man. Come on now. It was It's, it's two days. We're going to be 90 degrees this weekend. We got to hold on to it. <laughs> so use that code CHGO as Shady Rays. Shady Rays, the best sunglasses, bar none, point blank, period. Now, we said we got some games on the horizon. Um, that schedule that's coming up is going to be tough. The last game of the season is Connecticut. They've got Connecticut one other time, and I believe they've got Atlanta at home again, too where you want to see Ryan Howard, you want to get a chance to see Ryan Howard, um, take those tickets where you can get them because that's a special once-in-a-lifetime player. But you got to see this guy at home. There is nothing like a game at Wintrust. And if you want the best tickets available to see this guy at Wintrust, you got to use Game Time. The Game Time app offers premier seat views, premier seats, last-minute deals, and you will never get shafted on tickets. If you say that you're sitting in 212 with non-obstructive views, you're sitting in 212 with non-obstructive views. Granted, Wintrust Arena was not built before 1948, so you don't have obstructive view seating. Lawrence, you laughed like you had. Like I, mean, you, I'm just, you know, I know where you're going with this. You're clearly talking, talking smack about I Wrigley Field. I get no, that. it wasn't even that. It wasn't even that. I mean, but now that you mention it, sometimes you've <laughs> got to sit behind some pillars at Wrigley Field or you're in the back of the terrace where you can't see down the left field line. You know, yeah, I do not like the 200 level at Wrigley Field. It's it not, not great. <laughs> it's not great. But not only will you not get it that, at Wintrust, you will not get that on game time either. And it's not just for sports. You want to see a show at the Chicago Theater? You can use Game Time. You want to see something in Netherlander? You like plays, musicals, any of that? Use Game Time. The Red Stars will be back off their uh, World Cup winter break September 17th. And if you have a favorite player like I do off the Steam Jamaica, boy, you know, you got to go out and see the Red Stars at least one time. So use that, use Game Time and use that code CHGO and get $20 off your first order. Game Time, best prices, best tickets. Guaranteed. I mean, you're trying to go out to Wrigley Field tonight because uh, you can watch your White Sox <sighs> take on the Cubs. I don't know that team anymore. <laughs> I was, I knew that was coming. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know who. It was that. a rough week last week. A rough <laughs> just, week. Just last week. It's been about four years of rough. Ever oh, he since said, uh, he said four years. Well, no, no. no what, what, when was the, what was the day that Tony Larusa was hired? Because since that day. I don't. I don't remember. Um, November something. You know. You know how you block some things out in your brain, like unconsciously. <laughs> I think that's what happened. I. I remember going out when they won the division in 2020, 
and buying those specialty um, 83 White Sox Goose Islands that they had. I bought a case of that with my White Sox Road jersey on and played the song loud on the on the um, on the Amazon, the little the echo, whatever in the apartment. <laughs> I was I was on cloud nine, 10, 11, 12, all that. And now it's like. It's like, what happened, man? It feels like it feels like graduating high school and you turn around like, man, I was in here for four years. That's what it feels like. It feels like it just went by in a blink of an eye. It ain't great. But hey, you know, maybe they'll knock the Cubs out of the playoffs in the next two nights. I don't don't count on it. Yeah, we're not speaking that one into existence. <laughs> I rebuke that. Like, I, I would love it, but don't you can't count on it, man. <laughs> Oh, appreciate y'all listening in. We got Region Rev out in Gary, Indiana. Shout out to Gary for real. Um, they say we got to put the fever down in September in like spoiling. But, you know, it's not great playing spoiler, but at least there's that. That Indiana team is is so interesting because they're 8-23, but you can see the development going on, whether, you know, Parents on Twitter aside, Aaliyah Boston and Alyssa Smith are, are doing really good work in the post. Um, I, I still like the development of Grace Berger. They got Erica Wheeler back in Indiana where she belongs. I think that's the piece that you hold on to. And James brought this up yesterday uh, when we were recording. Indiana has the chance to get a high lottery draft pick, which means that they could bring Caitlin Clark once two states over. And you got Caitlin Clark, Melissa Smith, Aaliyah Boston, and then, you know, insert chorus of veterans here. Kelsey's still there. Yes. It's a lot going on. Grace coming off the bench at that point. That's a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. That that Indiana team is good though. They have a nice foundation. They just have to figure out how to feature Aaliyah in the all encompassing ways that she can be featured in. Not just as a screener, not just as a handoff hub, not just as a post-up machine. Like she can space the floor. She can knock down three. Shout out Mark Schindler. He's been emphasizing how much opportunity she seizes when she can shoot the three ball. She knocks them down. Uh, that's going to be a next part of her evolution that's not going to have any hiccups, really. She just needs the volume and the opportunity to do so. Uh, she's just offensively, there's like nothing she can't do. We haven't seen her come off of a pick and roll yet as the ball handler, but I'm sure she could probably do that too <laughs> if she put her mind to it. Like she's just so she's just so good and she's just so fun. And Caribbean uh, Islanders can do anything they put their mind uh, to, man. So I don't know. She's two and three in her last three games from the uh, from the arc. So I I really look forward to that when you see a. Li- I mean, we saw what it did for John Quell Jones, right? Once she was able to shoot that three with regularity and hit it with regularity. She became an MVP, and I think that um, Aaliyah is not just on her horizon because it's still a, a, a post-player-oriented league, but that would not only make her a more complete player, that's just like the sky's the absolute limit. Like we, I think Asia Wilson has the chance to be the best player in league history, but then you have Aaliyah who's still in and Asia's still young, so you're going to be looking at a like – a LeBron, Jordan, Crosby, Ovechkin type situation with those two going at each other. And you like all you're doing is crossing your fingers for good health for both. And what's special about that is it's Gamecock-centric. That South Carolina connection, Don Staley, mm. the way that their fan base follows their players when they go into the W, 
or go overseas potentially like it's it's gonna be special it's gonna be special it's gonna be special man it's crazy we got to talk about some things with the sky that we haven't yet, um, but has always been hanging. has been hanging over their head all season long, and that's the injury bug. Um, I was checking this out from the next hoops. In terms of injuries, the sky are not near the top just in total injuries. That's like I think um, Washington has like twenty players that 20, 20 times where players have gone out with injury this season. So in just terms of injury incidents, they're right in the middle of the pack. They're sixth in the league. But with those injuries to Isabel Harrison before the season and Rebecca Gardner three games in, they've lost the second most games to injury behind the Sparks um, and the most player games per injury, um, 11.1 games, and the second most win shares lost in the league. You equate that out to say if you if you round up to five games – then the sky are 17 and 13. And that's like, I think, fourth place. Yeah. I'm mistaken. It might be third. Like That's about where – I know that's where I had them at, like, their, their peak going into the season if everything worked out well. Yeah. And, okay. They, and so that's – I know it's not the same, say, Washington lost to Lena Della Dunn, which was a concern that I think a lot of people had because of her history. Um, and they lost Shakira Austin for expended time, too. That's going to take a lot of teams out of the mix, especially a team like Washington, where so much of what they do orients around those two players. But the sky losing Isabel Harrison, we've talked about it. She is not only a quality option offensively in the second unit where she can get to the rim um, and she'd been working on a more reliable jump shot with Spar Girona. Isabel Harrison was going to be their primary front court player. Like, Alana Smith and Morgan Birch got thrust into roles that they weren't going to be in because right. Isabel Harrison got injured. Mm-hmm. So you lose that many games from those two key players, then it just throws so much of your team's offense and, and team continuity out of whack. Yep, and that, by virtue of that, also jumbles up the lineups and the expected lineups within your rotation that you would use. I feel like Elizabeth, I mean, excuse me, Isabel Harrison, I felt like, would have been a starting four. Mm-hmm. But she also, in addition to that, would have been the primary piece at the backup five spot. Yes. So now, if you put her at the five with Atlanta or Morgan, that's five out floor spacing. That's a different type of defensive scheme versatility that you could use. That's a different type of just general feel and pace you can play with. There's a different type of skill level that you have when you could put somebody like Izzy at the five. And I think that's something that has kind of not been there for this guy. For the season's entirety, they've tried it with Morgan and Atlanta, and it's been okay. But I'm sure that I think they would have desired to see a little bit more production and efficiency from those lineups. But it's just kind of the, the the bind that you're in. And then we don't even have to say that much about Rebecca Gardner, what she would do defensively. And she was knocking down her three-pointers at such a such a, a great clip. You can't say career best because it was only her second season. So, of course, it's naturally going to be better. But... <laughs> She was just knocking it down so well, and then she was also doing a little bit more with the ball in her hands, initiating pick and rolls, initiating offense at times. Like, that's just a lot, a lot of impact that you're missing. And they've come up with um, ways to mitigate it a little bit, but it's not been sustained. And, of course, that's kind of playing into where the team is at the moment. It never felt like they were putting their finger in the dike, but I think it just came up and was really evident. Um, in those games, following the coaching change, how much you miss those players, especially a player like Izzy, who is a veteran voice in your locker room too. 
Um, Emery talked about how important it was to have those players at practice, helping the players that they had on the team. But that's that's something that you lose um, off off the court, outside of the, you know, diagramming plays, something that you really, really miss um, having those players out. And I was thinking, Izzy said, was the last time we were here, she said the rehab is rehabbing, right? Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that that meant that she was going to be back before the end of the year. But with these losses, you know, it's, it's, she's been officially shut down for the season. Yeah, I think she was just kind of giving a gauge at where she is in terms of her comfortability with the injury and just kind of kind of fighting at it to take those steps and being able to get back to doing more on the court and being more of herself. And definitely wishing her Godspeed. That's not an easy injury to overcome, especially as a front court piece uh, that plays the way that she does. Uh, and she'll come back better than she was before, but... Yeah, um, yeah, and I haven't heard is a it's a it's a big it's a big loss for this team this season. I got an interesting one from from BB Bear down on the um, on the comments. If Kalia uh, wants this team to be her team, she needs to set the tone defensively, and I think that's interesting. We gotten um, it felt like Ka was getting better on the things that we had been talking about early in the season in terms of. Uh, rim pressure, these things that you've written about. If you haven't yet, check out Steven's work on allchgo.com. Um, his last Skyscope Volume 2 had a lot to say about Kalia Copper's offense. Uh, but one of those things was her getting to the rim, her getting to the free throw line, and affecting the team's offense in a way that we were used to, that we had talked about earlier in the season where we were like she could be an MVP candidate. But defensively, it felt like once you had her offensively going – that it was less about, hey, Kyle, we need you to get like four or five boards a game, do this, do that, rather than go out and score the way you can score. So does it seem like that's the case? Does she need to set the tone defensively, or does that fall to some two other players in the lineup? Well, Kyle is in a unique situation because if you look at the teams last season, um, she was oftentimes she was guarding the better of the perimeter perimeter players, especially when Allie was in the starting lineup. True. Because, True. you know, Allie's not the best. She's not the best defender. She's also not the biggest guard. And kind of the same thing with Sloop by that same measure. So Kyle would typically take the better of the, the um, point guard through small forward matchups and just kind of, you know, parse it out through there. And she's obviously in a, a more than above average defender. And I think she's shown it in stretches as well this season. But I also think there's a little bit more on her plate in terms of, um, usage on offense and how she has to go about operating. I'm not saying that Kai is not in a great shape because she definitely is, but there's also things that are unrealistic, and I think that expecting her to be uh, the team's leading scorer every night and then also expecting her to go out and guard the best perimeter player for 40 minutes or for 35 or 34 minutes, like, come on now. So <laughs> it's, it's a team for a reason. Like, you have to have other pieces that are able to take on some of that. And, I, and my point in bringing it up is last season – Guess who was there to help her with that? Rebecca Gardner. True. Rebecca Gardner was the best perimeter defender uh, on the sky, and she was arguably the best or second best to Brittany Sykes last season. Now, Brittany Sykes is running away with it this year. I think a lot of that is because Rebecca is not there to contend with her there on the perimeter. And there are other uh, very solid perimeter defenders, like a Jordan Canada and other players like that that are very solid. But my point being is that that, uh, the effect of – Kyle having more on her plate is kind of also being felt with Rebecca not being there. Because if Rebecca was there, 
she would probably be closing in a lot of lineups. Yeah. And now that's helping the that. defensive issue that we've been talking about. And, you know, it just makes everything easier when you have the pieces that you were expecting to have in place to help Kalia instead of putting even more on her plate. Like, okay, now Rebecca's out. No, it's, I know it's hard, but can we have you just guard the best player for every minute you're on the court while also going to get 25 points because we need it on both sides? Like, you feel me? You got to kind of have the right perspective on it. And Kai's doing a great job. I can already, um, back in my mind, just run back plays where she's at the point of attack. She decides to guard the point guard, and she's putting pressure on stopping enough from getting into the offense. Or she gets switched when they're going in their switching schemes, and now she's denying the post and keeps the ball from getting to the mismatch. And now they bleed away the shot clock and end up taking a bad shot at the end of the clock, and the sky, you know, withhold a stand. So she's doing her job. I don't want it to seem like Kai's not. She definitely is, but there's just more on her plate this season, obviously, than it was last season. I want, I'm glad that you um, brought up the defense there because um, when we were talking earlier about points in the paint, that's something that the Sky have had trouble with. But we've seen such good play as a tandem from Elizabeth Williams and Alana Smith. Their uh, stats, their run-of-the-mill stats, points, rebounds, assists are nearly identical. Um, Alana, I think, has a, like one, maybe one more foul than Elizabeth Williams for you know varying reasons. Sometimes it's just bad officiating, mm-hmm. but we've seen them play so well, and I'm glad. That's why I'm glad you mentioned Jordan Canada. Award season is going to be coming up soon. You know, WNBA, if you're out there, we deserve votes. Mm. But if you had those two and anybody else in the league up for most improved player this year, say it was between Alana Smith and Jordan Canada. No bias whatsoever. Who do you vote for? Honestly, I'm sticking with Atlanta just because she's had a different type of um, a different type of challenge to to come to. We already spoke to the injury to Isabel Harrison, right? By virtue of that, and in addition to that, Morgan Birch also got hurt. So Atlanta went from starting the season as the proverbial third um, third four for the team to then going to second to then being the starter. And she hasn't relinquished the hold on the starting lineup since Morgan Birch went down her, with her ankle injury earlier in the season. And it's not just because uh, Morgan hasn't been as healthy as she was prior to the ankle injury or because, well, Izzy's not back, so we just got to have somebody there. No, Atlanta's been one of the most active defenders in the, in the WNBA. She's top, I think she's top like seven in blocks and steals. Yeah. Like, that's again from a piece that you weren't even expecting to be featuring in your top like seven. As, as your quote unquote, you know, best players or most biggest minute getters. And now she's, she just fortifies such a role with the team on offense and defense. And then she's been efficient and effective in that and been such a key cog to everything the team does scheme wise on both sides. I think that, in addition to the stats that we're seeing her produce, um, she has two games where she had perfect shooting from the field. Like, yeah, that's <laughs> like true. That's this is <laughs> mind blowing. And then you add to that, she has multiple games where she has two plus blocks and two plus steals and 10 plus points, like little stats like that, that speak to her impact. And then if you look past the stats, just how the team galvanizes around her activity, it's going to be louder. There's going to be louder um, candidates like a Satu Sabali, obviously because of health and she's able to produce to the extent that she is now in Jordan Canada, kind of in a similar way with opportunity as well as um, just having a ball in her hands more as a guard. It's going to make their stats seem a little more loud, but Atlanta has to get more attention and recognition for just everything that she's doing. She's punching out of the quote-unquote box that she was put in to start the season. And, I mean, 
I can't see any other piece for the sky having played better given the opportunity that she has and the way that she's kind of fit in with the scheme and everything. I knew I knew Region Rev was going to chime in and said that's true. Atlanta offense is great. Imagine if less than two fouls, she'd be on the floor more. Yes. Rev, you gotta you gotta let Atlanta live. You know she's she's a post player who's active. It's gonna be at least two fouls a night. You yeah, would expect. Don't know how to her. They do not know how to officiate her. It's gotten better too. That's the funny yes. thing. We saw those first games of the of the month June, uh, May and June. And it felt like Atlanta was getting like those phantom calls on um, catch contest. Yes, mm-hmm. all the time. And that's such a like you pointed that out on on um, on Friday night mm-hmm. that you were surprised that they didn't call a foul on just like the low post entry pass catch and contest of the of the pass. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, maybe they're recognizing that Atlanta can play a little bit. Mm-hmm. Lawrence, if you had the choice, Jordan Canada. We talked about the injuries a bit for the Sparks that they've had. Um, and they're still on the outside of that playoff picture. And we know that Jordan Canada has become a legitimate two-level scorer um, as well as remaining a dog defensively. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you had those two or anybody else in the W, who would you choose? I mean, I, you know, Jordan hit a couple tough shots against the Sky earlier this year that, you know, made me recognize her games on the come up. But, I mean, I'm giving it to Alana, just like what Steven just said about how the fact that she came in as the third option and she's proven herself to get up to number two and then to number one based on injuries and all that. And she's, she's not get letting go and she just keeps getting better. So if that's what most improved means, I think that works. Yeah, she went from a player that was out of the rotation yeah. her last thing in the W to now being a starter on a team that's a playoff team at the moment. Like talking about she's jumping tiers in terms of a role within the team. Right. Let alone the team that's actually, you know, playing for something too. I think that has to all be factored in when when the vote voters when the voters are kind of looking at things, not just the name and not just the opportunity, but how did they get to the opportunity. I feel like what most improved the story and the context of the story should be valued more in terms of who gets the the award. Because obviously there's gonna be a lot of contenders, but I think the story and how um I guess how telling is that story for that player at the end of that season, I think that should be weighed a little bit more in that. And if I if I had a vote, I would be looking at things from that perspective. And don't forget, you know, you're talking about how the refs have maybe figured out how to referee her. What about her figuring out how the refs are going to, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's two-way street there. Like, mm-hmm. she's learning as well in, in that regard, so. And she said as much post-game a handful of times, too. That's a yeah. good point. It's like really learning how to play with this set of referees outside of um, the ABL or just over in Europe, for sure. I was talking to uh, my guy James K about this. Satu has been electric for Dallas this season, but I wouldn't vote for Satu because I feel like most improved is going from a place where you're underperforming or performing at a level that you were, you know, under what you were expected to performing better than that level. And we've seen this from Satu. It's just she's just had bad luck with injuries. Yep. It hasn't been anything that's taken her out of the lineup other than getting hurt. And that's not a knock on her, but I wouldn't say that she improved from a place. She just has more time on the floor. And you, what was it? Arike said as much in Las Vegas, right? Yep. They both told me the same thing. Yep. Mm -hmm. And so that's why it's like Jordan Canada, um, even with her, I think she came in as a known quantity who people figured was going to was going to do well, and she had the the chance to learn behind Sue Bird. I was surprised that they didn't keep her in Seattle. Mm 
And so the, when she's gone to Los Angeles and done this, I'm like, well, this is a different Jordan Canada. You can have her on the floor at the end of games mm-hmm. because if she gets fouled, she's going to hit free throws rather than being a liability in that area. It's going to be a tight race, but if there's any award that I think any Sky player deserves to win, it's that most improved. And I think it's well-deserving for Atlanta Smith. Um, I also think Dana should have a say-so in the six-player six of the year award. I don't know if she'll get it. I think if she has a, a, a handful of uh, those lightning bursts that she's more than capable of down this last 10 or 11 games of the season, she could definitely further stamp her say-so in who gets the award. But I think even regardless of that, she should have some type of say-so. Just based the on the defense? Point guardship, the growth that she's shown in uh, facilitating. Um, also, just her understanding her game more and how to impact the game, getting downhill like she's mentioned a lot, and being able to pass off of that and also score for herself. If she starts knocking down a couple more threes down this stretch, it'll obviously help the sky get to where they want to get to ultimately. I think it'll also help her kind of have more of a say-so in that six-player of the year award as well. I think with the way that, that Dana's season's shaken out, where it just it feels like for some reason her shots are – they're good shots. She's getting good looks, and they're not falling until the lead is 10 points one way or another. And I'm I'm mad. Like I'm I'm watching these games and I'm upset. I'm like, why were you not let Dana shot fall? Like where what deities of basketball are doing this? <laughs> and so I think that that's coming for her next year because you know, most improved player, it, you're gonna look at PRA first, right? Like where's the points in Dana's case, where's the assists and even the rebounds? Um, and I think she's primed for that. Because I have to realize myself, she is in her second full season. It's not even finished yet. She has not gotten two contract years in the W down yet. And we are already seeing what Dana was capable of um, last year. We've seen it in spurts and stretches, um, even over the last year in Turkey, when they just, when Besiktas said, here's the keys to the offense, you got it. Mm -hmm. And she was putting up 30 point games. Mm I think there was an expectation of seeing that. It's kind of similar to the bind that Gabby Williams was in here because in France she was doing all of these things overseas. And then um, I can't remember who it was, but I know it was a colleague of mine who was just like, this is what we've seen from Gabby Williams. And we've seen it in the past previously. It hadn't necessarily translated here because one, the roles were different. And two, she was on a team that she wasn't expected to be that top level um, primary scorer. But we saw it, I think, really start to come out when she got went to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And honestly, as much as I enjoyed it, she wasn't leaned on to be the second unit point guard distributor anymore. So I think there's a chance that we see that MIP for Dana next year just because she's had a tough season shooting the ball. Mm-hmm. But she has learned how to be that point of attack defender and be relied on as the distributor for the second, uh, for the second unit. Um, and she's kind of had to learn – um, through some fire with the season that we've already talked about. Yep. Uh, Ren- I think one more thing. You uh, got it. Elizabeth Williams has to be on one of the, the DPO defensive teams. Yeah. I don't think she'll get DPO. Why? Just because Asia yeah. Wilson, Brianna Stewart, and Alyssa Thomas. True. Lord have mercy. <laughs> that's, that's a, that's a, how are your three MVP candidates also your DPOY candidates? I, I mean, speaks, that's why. That just speaks to their greatness. It's, yeah. it's, but it's, they're like such great insane. offensive players too. They are. they are. And they all go about it on offense and defense in such unique ways. There's like minimum overlap in between how they're featured on, te- on, both, on all three of their teams. 
Elizabeth, or excuse me, uh, Alyssa is relied on more for all that she can do on both sides mm-hmm. than the other two because of the roster constructs. And Stewie's freelancing, and the edge is just locking up everything. Like, it's just, it's beautiful to see. But bringing it back to Elizabeth, she has to be on, she's not going to make the first team because those three are absolutely in the way. But the second team, she, like, respect to anybody else, like Ezzy McBagore, uh, uh, um, it really anybody else you can name, Tierra McCown, like anybody else you want to name that might be able to be a viable piece, viable piece for that second team. Elizabeth has had a sustained level of success on defense, and she's really helping to keep this Sky team afloat and really just uh, just uplifting everything they do scheme wise, and it's on a nightly basis. I think you put Atlanta in there too. Like I said, their stats were near identical. The only thing that Atlanta had her beat on, other than there was like one like point seven more fouls was that she's averaging over like one, it's almost one and a half steals a game too, along with more than one block a game. Mm -hmm. And those are your two, like, when the Sky are at their best, they are locking down the paint. And I love the way that they help off the ball when it's necessary too. Like a lot of the um, Sky Townies, are shout out to the Sky Townies, had a nice event up north a couple weeks back. They were not happy. See, they were like, Courtney Williams cannot be your leading rebounder night in, night out. But a lot of what happens is that, especially when you have a game like they had against New York, Brianna Stewart and John Quill Jones in there crashing the boards. Mm-hmm. Alana or Elizabeth is keeping the ball alive, and then Courtney swoops down from the free throw line, gets a board, and starts a fast break. So a lot of what you see in terms of numbers is because you have those two working hard on the defensive glass and Atlanta, especially on the offensive glass uh, as well. So if you got you got Elizabeth Williams on there, which I wholeheartedly agree with, I think you got to have Atlanta on second team all defense too. I, I don't disagree with that. I just think it'll be a little tougher in the forward room than it will be at the center position. Mm. Um, so I just think Elizabeth just has to be a shoe in for it. But I, I agree. And then even to, especially with your point with Courtney leading the team and rebounding on multiple occasions, I think A, that speaks to just her anticipatory skill and being able to, uh, figure out where the ball is going to carry him off the basket and go find it before anybody else. Like nine, like nine times out of ten, she's the first player to be in the vicinity of where the ball is going to carry him off the rim. And that's like something Dennis Rodman spoke on on the podcast. I was just recently. thinking about it. He spoke about it in such a – like I'm just reading angles. <laughs> I can tell off of the spin and the trajectory of Mike's arc that, okay, his shot's going to go here, Scotty's shot's going to go there. Like it's obviously to a lesser extent because she's not a post player, but Courtney has that processing to where she knows where it's going to go. And even more than that, the Sky are at their best, like you mentioned, when they're playing with pace in the transition into the other side of the, of the floor. When your point guard gets the rebound and she's the one that's doing it, you're picking up way more pace. You don't need an outlet pass. You don't need to find somebody. She can just grab it and go. And that's when they're at their best. So her being able to do that kind of unlocks a lot of things for them on offense as well. Sky got the aces coming up soon, but tonight the basketball world looks to Las Vegas. It's the Commissioner's Cup, the third iteration of the Commissioner's Cup. And the teams that we expected to be there are theirs, New York Liberty and the Las Vegas Aces. Um, our DraftKings pick of the week was an interesting one, not for the game itself, though um, Las Vegas is a minus 210 favorite. Kia Stokes was, I think, plus 105 to get over six and a half rebounds. And in her last three games, she's gotten at least six, three of those five. So that, for my money, is a surefire bet. She's a 30 years old. She's a veteran. But the way that Las Vegas is using her, they're like, hey, you don't got to take a lot of shots. You just got to lock the paint down, control the defensive glass. Mm-hmm. 
And even against a team like New York, she is a player that can do that, um, whether she's on the floor with Asia at the same time or coming in as that second unit uh, pivot. So that's your DraftKings pick of the week for tonight. Kia Stokes over six and a half rebounds at plus 105. Pair that with anything else that you see on the schedule. And I can almost... I'll do it one time. Guarantee <laughs> that you're going to win it. Um, we ain't got that one since like our second or third. Point. I know. Yeah, I got to figure out something that's not trademarked. <laughs> Wait, now, hold on. So Aces, um, do we think they run away with it tonight? Are we going to see a close game? Is this a preview of the finals? What's I think happening? I think the running away is done. I think both teams have hit their stride individually, and they figured out how they have to play against each other. I think that last game when the Liberty won – Big time. It was, uh, I think, the second or third biggest uh, loss in Aces history. Wow. Yeah, it was one. Wow. It was like it was up there. Yeah, it was up there. I think it was like thirty-seven or thirty-eight. The final score. Whoa. So whatever it was, um, they figured out what they need to do. So now it's like the rubber match. Rubber match per se. It's gonna see. Okay, you saw that film. We saw this film. We both won doing this. Who's gonna do that more against the opponent? And obviously, with it being in Vegas. That's an advantage. They probably have the best home court advantage in the W. Um, and on top of that, they've only lost how many times? Was that, was that their third loss, Correct. I think? So like they, they rarely lose the team, so they're going to be looking for some get back. And this is obviously on the national stage being the Commissioner's Cup. So I don't think it's going to be a runaway. It's going to be close, but I think they have their piece figured out more and how to impose their will on the Liberty than vice versa. So I think they'll come away with like maybe a five-point victory. Okay. It'll okay. be close, though. I would, I would go with that. Like I said, I think that New York, like you said, is hitting their stride. I'm not sold yet on them being the consummate finals opponent for Las Vegas. I still think they're figuring some things out, although John Quill Jones has found her place in the offense. I would like to see her be more of a focal point at times where it's like a five- or six-minute stretch where it's like, hey, we're going to John Quill. Not just that we're getting her in the post, but we're letting her work on the, on like the, the outside, the free-throw line extended and just kind of clearing that side for her. But the way that they have it working where Sabrina's hitting threes and is, you know, they're, they're able to mitigate anything that she would give up on the defensive end. Brianna Stewart, uh, Courtney Vandersloot just kind of sitting back and getting six and eight a night. Um, yeah, and leading the league in assists on top of that. Like, uh, just do your thing, Courtney. <laughs> <laughs> like, they're, they're there. They're, they're getting close, if not there yet. So... Las Vegas at home with money on the line. Kelsey Plum with a chance to get – was that the – no, that was the finals MVP. That was the one that everybody was roasting, wasn't it? It wasn't the Commissioner's nah, Cup MVP? The, that no, was the All-Star, All-Star game. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, tiny. you know, Lisa – or um, Kathy has another chance to give Kelsey or somebody else on the Aces some hardware. So uh, I don't think they want to pass that up because the all eyes are going to be on the W to not just go to uh, play it against sports and get that trophy. Uh, <laughs> So I, I got I got the Aces winning tonight. I'd say it would be single digits, but I don't oh, know. Yeah. It feels like there's a breakout performance coming somewhere we might not be expecting. I mean, I always did like betting on them to win by 20 because they've done it way too many times. <laughs> they've, done it, but like, they've done it tonight, in all but like three games. I think season. tonight's maybe like a double digit possibility. You know, mm-hmm. maybe get some plus money there. I don't know. I like plus money. I mean, the the, the money is. The money is up. The money is on the line for these players. You know, it's outside the salary, mm-hmm. outside the playoff bonuses. The whole reason they put this in was like, hey, you win, we're spreading the dough out. Especially after the, the story came out after the first one 
that really the marquee players were the ones who were coming away with that cash that was talked about and the end of the bench players weren't getting it. So now they, the W, unless they hit their tracks well, they're spreading this money out from the number one to number 12. Mm-hmm. So when when there's dollars on the line, like we've seen with the half-court shots, you know, it's winning time, to, to paraphrase magic. Yep. So the next four for the sky, they are away against Atlanta. I apologize earlier. I thought y'all were going to get another chance to see Ryan Howard in Chicago. That is not to be this year. <laughs> but the next three are at home versus Connecticut, Seattle, and Las Vegas before going back on the road to Connecticut on the 27th. So, Renetta, I saw you um, in the chat. Sorry we didn't get to your comment. Um, appreciate you for tuning in. The Sky have to uh, win these. If they're, as you say, they still got time to get it together, but that time is running out. It's going to be close. Appreciate everybody for tuning in to the, Sky, uh, the CHGO Sky Show. Um, we will see you out there at Wintrust. Again, I am Chris Pennant at Quandary Kitten. That's K-W-A-N-D-A-R-Y Kitten on Twitter. And he is Stephen Garner at Stay True S.3. Check him out on allchgo.com. Stephen, you got anything coming in the hopper that's going to be published? Yeah, I just kind of I got a couple different things I'm thinking about um, creating some content on. It might just be like a video breakdown. It might not necessarily be written. Uh, but they don't play till Friday, and there's a lot of basketball that's going to be going on. So I'm kind of trying to balance enjoying that, uh, as well as obviously kind of give us some insight into what's been going on with the sky before their next game on Friday. So yeah, I got a couple ideas I'm mulling over right now. Cool. Uh, I got to get to this one. Bear Down said, uh, my prediction for tonight, Jackie locks up Sabrina. That's a good prediction. Uh, that is, sounds as, as likely as my prediction to take the CTA home today because that's going to happen. So, yeah, Jackie is going to lock up. You know what? Let me back up. Sabrina's been shooting it well, and they're going to run the, her through that screens. That was the big thing that, that trumped everything else that happened in that last game two Sundays ago. Sabrina went for went off for almost 40. Mm-hmm. Like That's something in the math that – if you're not knocking down your shots, you can't match that. So she has to. <laughs> It'll be interesting. I like the way you threw that in there too, with the you know that 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 clever turn of phrase there. Since it's Indictment Tuesday, uh, <laughs> let's go off the air, man. This has been the CHGO Sky Show at CHGO Sports. Until next time, people, keep your feet on the ground and your head in the clouds. <laughs>